Hello, everyone, and welcome to Grip Lock, Foundation Disc Golf's weekly podcast. I'm Hunter, joined, as always, by Trevor. And I just want to start the show off by thanking all of you, our audience, um, here and on multiple platforms, because our Discord server just crossed 10,000 current active members. Popping off. If you have not found our Discord yet, it is an awesome place to talk about disc golf or other things yeah. for that matter. Rocket League. Whatever, really. Console we've, games. We've, we've got, I mean, there's a little bit of everything. Yeah, we've got a channel for just about everything at this it's point. It's just a community at this point. Yeah. Um, but a community of disc golfers, which is awesome. So if you're interested in checking that out, there's going to be a giveaway going on um, pretty soon. We're going to be posting the 10,000 member giveaway. Link's going to be in the description below. Go over there, join up. Um, we really appreciate all of you who already have and all of you who might do it now because of that. Um, but 10,000 members is something that I never expected. I thought that was pretty insane. So yeah. I wanted to start the podcast off by talking about that. But then secondly, I don't know if you guys have seen, this is going to be our main talking point. I don't know how long we'll be parked on this, but Austin Hannum has been doing these disc golf hot takes over mm-hmm. on Twitter. Um, you know, he's done three so far. The first one wasn't controversial. The third one was just that disc golf's awesome. It was quote unquote hot take. His second one though was actually controversial and an actual hot take. Um, so this was brought on Twitter by Awesome Hannum, and this is the quote from his tweet. He said, "Disc golf hot take number two. When will the and then he tagged the PDGA and the Disc Golf Pro Tour incorporate drug testing for top tier events? I think it's a big step in the right direction to grow even bigger. Uh, in general, it seemed most pros that responded um, agreed with him, but he continued to go on later in his thread responding to different people, and he said that he made an even more controversial statement that pros came out disagreeing with Mm -hmm. um, and other pros agreed with. This is when it got really controversial. He said that weed should be on the banned substance list um, as a performance-enhancing drug. And he also stated, if you needed a prescription for Adderall, marijuana, etc., then should you really be playing? Um, Which the exact... Uh, That's a pretty bad take. The exact quote from his tweet was, if you can't fit the regulations the sport is asking, then it's not for you. So uh, it got kind of hotter and hotter as the yeah, take went on. That's kind of a bad take. I agree with there. I don't really <laughs> think we're going to even talk about... Well, actually, I do have that as a question, but I don't really think we're going to park on that part very long. Um, and then you can also find in the thread where he thinks steroids would not ha- help in disc golf and states, let them take them. Also awful take. So I'm not positive Austin Hannum's the guy that we want writing this policy or you know leading... The policy, but in general, mm-hmm. uh, I think his his thread and some of the things he brought up raise several questions um, that we can talk about and kind of talk through. What is it going to look like? What's our opinion on it? What are some of the facts on it and stuff like that? So I think first off, what are the benefits to drug testing at the top tier? How does it actually improve disc golf, or does it? Right. So the idea, like he was saying, like, it's like going to help the sport grow a ton. I don't necessarily know if that's the case quite yet, but it is a very good look to have in place to when the sport does get big. It should just be a part of the sport because it's like a, it's almost like a a professional stance. Like it's a, a, it's like a aspect of professionalism to where like, you know, we make sure our players are clean and they're not using illegal substances when they're representing our tour, you know, and our sport. Mm -hmm. That's, that's kind of what it is. It's really almost like, um, just social responsibility, like being like, we, our players are clean athletes. Like they are not using illegal substances. They are playing the game fairly and you know, they are good upstanding citizens. Like that is kind of the whole idea behind drug testing. A lot of it has to do with 
you know, just flat out not wanting them to cheat. And then some of it's too, just like, yeah, we don't have our guys, you know, they're not just like criminals that are taking illegal drugs, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that the, the first and foremost, the, the benefit of it is leveling the playing field. Right. Fairness. Um, which at this time, there's no evidence to say that the, play, the playing field isn't level. That right. was what people, several people were commenting. They were saying like, well, you know, is this being, are you bringing this up because you're coming after a certain player? I don't think so. And he multiple times was like, how would I know? Because yeah. there's no drug testing in place. Right. So I think it's more so as the sport gets bigger. Because right now, you know, if if players are doing drugs that would be on the banned substance, you know, I don't know how many are actually doing it specifically for disc golf and like right. leading up to disc golf rounds. I could see like Adderall or something like that because that seems to be pretty common in a lot of sports that require focus. Yeah. Um, I think the MLB I read online like was 60 to 70% higher than the average population. Like more than like MLB player was 67% more likely to be prescribed Adderall mm-hmm. than the average population, mm-hmm. which raises questions of like, yeah, well, yeah. How, that's... like why, why are they getting, right. you know what I mean? Why are they getting the prescription? So like that's going to happen. But I'm just saying like in general right now, there's no evidence or there's no one really raising the question of specific players. So I don't know if leveling the playing field right now is a big issue, but I think as the sport grows and especially as the purses grow, yeah, that could be a bigger right. issue. There's more money at stake when there's five thousand dollars on the line, and when a company you know, when a company adds cash and they want it yeah. to be fairly, they gone. want to make sure the guy that just took home a hundred thousand dollars cash, yeah, didn't take it home because he was on something, right? Um, but I also think that it, it does raise the professional look of the sport. Mm-hmm. Um, now we will get into whether or not weed is a part of that and marijuana is a part of that um but i think as far as drug testing in general making sure that you're you know i I do think adderall should be on that without a prescription you know we'll talk about the prescription part but i do think there's certain drugs that obviously should be on it steroids should be absolutely sure muscles might not necessarily help people farther but the recovery aspect of steroids people get the wrong idea with steroids like baseball is like the most notorious sports like there's literally an entire era of baseball called the steroid era and people always think you know oh it's because it helps them be more strong but that's not really why they were taking steroids it has an effect but it was really because the recovery time was just so much faster and And, and on a disc golf that could be huge because when you're going from tournament to tournament and round day to day yeah. yeah If your that's where steroids could yeah. be massive. So that's where I think Austin Hannum's take the wheels took fell off the rat wagon. Yeah. So I'm like that right there nullifies your whole take to me because that just shows that you haven't researched what these drugs yeah. can do and benefit the disc. I think I think he was just thinking like having more strength might may, may, may yeah. make you better, but that's not the whole point of steroids. Yeah, the recovery time is a, a big thing, um, but I do think that it, it adds a level of professionalism. Now, he was also talking about with growing the sport that, like, how are outside sponsors supposed to look at it, you know, if the if we don't even have drug testing? You know, is that something that an outside sponsor is really going to nitpick down to? Maybe, but I, I don't think so. Because I don't think that that's going to be, that might be something that an outside sponsor asks of the Pro Tour. Yeah. But that's not going to be a hindering factor to me. Probably I don't think that it's yet. like, oh, well... Now that we're drug testing, we're going to be on the radar of everyone. Right. Like, that's not oh, going to no, be the thing that puts no. us over the edge somehow. No, not at all. You know what I mean? It Which might be a, a good step in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think that, I think that the move towards drug testing is right, but I don't think that for the reasons he was saying. Right. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I also don't think the way he was saying mm-hmm. um, is right. So I, I do think before we get too much into, um, too much into the actual nitty gritty of drug testing and, 
uh, how it would be implemented, what it would look like. Do you think that marijuana, because I think this is going to be the, the hottest topic of this whole issue as it comes into disc golf, do you mm-hmm. think marijuana should be on the banned substance list for the Pro Tour? Yeah, so marijuana has been like the hot topic in like um, sports for a while as it shifted in our country becoming more and more um, legal on a recreational level um, it's brought about the question of you know why is it still on banned substance list the most important thing to remember um, is that the world anti-doping agency controls a lot of the agendas for a lot of the professional sports and it's still on their banned list Um, and that's why that's what a lot of leagues look towards and kind of point at when they're people are asking why is marijuana still on your banned substance list? they're like well the, the world anti-doping agency still has it on there therefore we follow that the nba has recently kind of broken the mold and what i kind of looked into was and i'd heard about this kind of as it was happening but basically the commissioner of the nba knew that a lot of the guys in the league um expect like when they weren't being tested were using marijuana uh something that they would have wanted to use and you know he was aware of of the way the culture around and like the um, kind of the stigma around marijuana was shifting in the country uh, and was willing to kind of shift the NBA's rules on that. But he was kind of weary and scared about the perception. It might kind of the message it might send the younger NBA audience. So he wasn't quite budged on it. But then when the NBA did the bubble this last uh, season, he saw that as an opportunity to be like, Hey, these players are all going to be in, in a state where it's legal. They're going to be uh, in a controlled environment. We are going to suspend the marijuana being tested, like being a part of the banned substance tests. So it would no longer test as a illegal substance. So they suspended it. Now, that doesn't mean it's permanently going to be that way. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that they're just going to keep it that way and hope that it kind of just slides in smoothly rather than bring it back into the news. Yeah. Uh, I think they're just going to keep it suspended. I think that was their way of doing that. Um, I'd be shocked if it came back on the list. Other leagues haven't followed suit, although I think the NFL um, does allow medical use of marijuana, or at least they're, I think they, they've admitted that they're definitely doing studies on it because that's a big thing is um, they're looking into the medical effects of it. Um, helping with recovery is another thing that they're using that for. Um, so when it comes to the pro tour, the biggest question is the game of golf is a bit different where um, to where focus and nerves. It's a slower paced game and focus and nerves can be everything. I mean, I cannot tell you how many golfers there's been like using ball golfers, as an example, who have all the talent in the world and literally the only thing separating them from the best or they got there and then fell off the earth is their head. Mm-hmm. You know, it's their mental game. It's their nerves. They get the yips basically. Yeah. Like, we see it happen to the best players in the world. And so the question really is, is marijuana considered a performance enhancing drug because um, it can clear their mind, help their nerves and calm them down? Because um, for, for starters, if we're talking about it being an illegally on the illegal substance list, I, sh- you know, I don't think it has anything to do with the ethics of the drug because it's becoming legal in a lot of places. So yeah. You can't really cite that. So it really comes down to, is it going to help these athletes perform? Is it going to be a competitive advantage? And the research I did on it, a lot of them were very mixed. 
Some people were saying, absolutely, it helps. It can help you get into this zone. It can control your nerves. Other people were like, I don't think so. It can really, and it almost seemed like too, there's very specific amounts where like you, if you do a if little you too much, too much you're-, you're completely fried. If you don't do that much, it doesn't do anything. So it's very like borderline, which makes the, <laughs> it gives the pro tour a very tough decision to make because you know, because it's borderline, you say, okay, so if it's borderline, let's just, let's say it's not on the banned substance list, but then it does end up helping players or do you keep it off? And then you make a bunch of players upset because they for sure will be. Um, I think it's a very tough line to rope. I wouldn't, I would not want to be in the pro tour shoes trying to make that decision. I, okay. So I looked into this, um, and I was trying to find what is the benefit or what is the benefit to playing high basically. And it seemed like the, you know, the only performance enhancing aspect was realistically in your head, yeah, the, the psychological yeah. effects of, of marijuana. And it seemed like the, from what I've seen, obviously the most common way that disc golfers go about it before round, whatever it is, is smoking it, mm-hmm. smoking it. The psychological effect from my research last night. So is it's only one to three hours, mm-hmm. how long it lasts. The psychological effects last one to three hours if you're smoking. Uh, obviously there is a lot that goes into that can change that it could make it up to four hours whatever the pdga has already banned smoking it during rounds right um which to which my to go knowledge, without saying like that should still be a thing yes to my knowledge i believe it's also banned during warm-ups yeah so my thing is why would we test for it on top of that because if, it, if there's a one to three hour window where it could possibly on the most average case a one to three hour window that a player benefits from it mm. They would have to be smoking during rounds. So then why are we going to test players for something that's recreationally able to be used outside of it? Now, there are cases like edibles and stuff like that that seemed like it lasted longer. Right. Um, Well, that's just it. But there's also like the thing of if you there also seem to be like edibles were a lot harder to dial in on being at that right case. Because sometimes people were saying, you know, it takes two hours for it to set in, 30 minutes for it to set in, whatever. So it seemed like the easiest way to control the level you were taking in was smoking it, mm. but that had the least lasting effect. That's a, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that. Um, I will. I, I think I do think that as far as warm ups and on the on the course, it, it shouldn't be allowed mm-hmm. because of the visual of smoking. Right. What that right. does to the professionalism of the sport, and right. that goes for smoking a cigarette anything you know just smoking in general and the same with drinking alcohol mm-hmm. i don't think that alcohol should be on the banned substance list either but i think that for the professionalism of the sport right at a right. top tier event right. during the warm-up and during the round mm-hmm. it shouldn't be allowed but i don't think we should go the extra step of testing for it because once it becomes legal everywhere how on earth are you going to regulate that to where it'd be like telling your players like hey you can't go get drinks with a friend on the weekend right like that makes no yeah, sense. Yeah, I, I I agree. That's and you make a good point. I I will mention again that um, CBD is not on the banned substance list for the anti World no. Anti Doping Agency, and there has been golfers who have used like CBD. Even Tiger Woods, of all people, have used like CBD gum mm-hmm. um, uh, to try and you know calm his nerves. Um, it's THC, which is is, and I think there's one other that are like um, banned. So yeah, you mentioned edibles, like. I'm not quite well enough researched to know um, just how many like ways there is to consume THC and get the desired effects um, beyond smoking it. But you do make a good point. If it if it is just smoking it, then yeah, like I guess you really can't. You'd have to almost time that perfectly. Well, Although, also- but think about this though. Think about this. You say one to three hours. When are you most nervous 
in a tournament going into the round going into the round so but it's also my my the biggest issue i have with putting on the banned substance list is the way you have to test for it right because there's basically several different types of tests you can do yeah and it seemed like the one that's like would tell you the most immediate results of like when someone smoked or use edibles whatever it was was like the blood or saliva test Mm -hmm. but from what i was reading it didn't really give you a good window so like if someone was smoking that morning that's beyond the point though when you're testing for banned substances it doesn't matter when you did it but that's the thing that's where that's where my whole issue comes in. so you're saying because once it's legal i think it's counterproductive to put it on a banned substance when it's already legal in several states yeah and then in addition to that it's most likely over the next few years going to be legal in several states probably the entire u.s yeah and that's what i meant to say in the entire u.s over the next several years and then on top of that i think over the next years even after that we're going to see some thc cbd weed company sponsors coming into the sport the same way because I get where right now that seems like really dumb. Like, why would we want that tied to disc golf of like the those sponsors coming in at this current moment Mm -hmm. in in time? But fast forward five years from now, in my head, the way it's like headed um, with the legalization and everything, it's going to be like Bud Light sponsoring event. Like, you know, we might not want the Bud Light disc golf tour. But if Bud Light was going to sponsor an event or throw money at sponsoring a hole or something like that, why would we refrain from that? So then why are we going to do anything to like yeah. kind of halter the process that of the way that everything's headed right now? Yeah. I mean, it, it's complete. It's kind of guesswork to try and figure out a, how long is it until, you know, marijuana is completely legalized in the U S. Cause I do think that by the time it's completely legalized, it will be taken off the banned substances list. For yeah. The There's, it just, it doesn't make sense. To, right. If it's completely, if, it's if you completely can go buy legal. it in a store off right. a shelf, how can it be on a banned substance list? Well, okay, well, that's I guess not really some... a good analogy. My bad. <laughs> because there's literally golfers who have used deer antler spray. Yeah. Because it has like HGH in it, like growth hormones. So that's not quite the right <laughs> path of thought. But uh, you get where I'm coming from, though. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, though. Now, now that I kind of think about that, though, there are things that are completely legal that you can buy that do give you performance enhancement. So I don't know. I might still disagree with that because. There are things that like aren't meant for performance enhancement, but they contain things that people have used to cheat and try to be sneaky about it. So it almost still comes down to like, even if it's completely legal, if it's aiding the players. Well, then I think what definitely, if there's if there's anyone wants to make that argument, if the pro tour came out, there has to be more studies on exactly. It. Yeah, I think that in order for it to happen, there would have to be studies on the performance of a player, the average performance. Yeah. On like the time frame he's doing, because you can test where like the test only shows if you did it that day, versus I mean some tests seemed like if weed was in your system for like almost like twenty days. Some of the tests, right? Showed. If you're doing uh, a urine test for like jobs, I know I've heard that it's like two weeks is kind of yeah. the number. So like that's crazy. Yeah. Because like if you like smoked a joint a week and a half before Worlds, and then your World Titles disqualified, <laughs> right. you're like, are you kidding me? Right. Right. Like that's that's the type of stuff that I'm like. Is that really what we want going into the going yeah. into the sport as we grow? Like, do, I, don't I just don't. I don't think that the when it comes, to, I, I see the benefit in drug testing for disc golf. I see a huge benefit in that. I don't see the benefits for drug testing for weed and disc golf. I think that the small benefits of like what it, what is the performance enhancement really going to be? Because I've played with some players 
um, during like C tiers and stuff, which I know it was smoking even illegal back then in C tiers. It was probably always illegal, but you know, you'd play in a C tier and sometimes someone would be like, you mind if I light up and I'm the type of guy that like, yeah, I don't whatever. care. You do you. I'm <laughs> yeah. just playing. Um, and there would be some players that they'd smoke and the next thing you know, they're shredding me. They're just like making everything and lights out. And there's other players that would get baked and then, you know, they turn into like the worst player I've ever seen. Yeah. Where they're like, they, I mean, they were fun to play with because they couldn't care less. Yeah, I think it's such a case by case basis there. Exactly. And that's where, like, unless there's a study that's like, okay, on average, it could improve your game. It can, you know, remove the nerves here. It can improve your game here. It can improve your game here on an average basis. If it's like a hit or miss, like some players it might help, some players it might hurt. Like, then what's the point in going through the trouble and spending the money to drug test for it? Mm-hmm. That's the part I don't understand. I don't think that it's, I don't think it's worth it because there's not enough study. And also it's going to be so hard to regulate because as it becomes more and more recreational, like recreationally legal to be used, then like how on earth is, I, I just don't get how it's going to be on a banned substance list. I don't, I just don't see how it's going to be a few years from now because I just don't think that. I personally just don't think it's performance enhancing enough to matter. Yeah, I can get behind that. I mean, I don't, I don't, I think it's probably a, a smarter move from the pro tour to keep it off the list if they do start drug testing yeah. than to put it on. And I think that that kind of goes into the next thing. Um, should oh, I was misreading one of the questions like, what is that? It doesn't even make sense. So someone who has a prescription for mm-hmm. a otherwise banned substance, right? Should that be allowed into the pro tour? Um, so like you have a prescription for Adderall because of ADD or whatever it is, should you be allowed on the pro well, tour? Hannum's take about like needing a pres- if you need a prescription for something that's illegal on the list, then you shouldn't even be like playing or something. But that was dumb because there's some people who need things for like injuries, mm-hmm. you know, like they're just trying to get themselves back up to scratch. Yeah. So that wasn't a great take. Um, it's it's tough to say because I I guess people can finesse subscriptions. Um, I'm I'm not super well versed in that world of like how easy it is to really acquire these things, but I don't know. I mean, you you would just hope that like there would be some level of integrity in the game, and I feel like at this point in disc golf, like there is like a level of integrity surrounding our game, but like you know. As it gets more flooded with with more characters, then you just never know what's going to happen. Well, here's my thing: is you know you you have to um, you have to kind of weigh the pros and cons here, right? Like, is it possible for players to go in? I'm gonna just keep using Adderall because that's the one I think when it, when I think of like disc golf, one of the biggest things is like focus, and I think Adderall. I've never played on Adderall. I don't know people that play on Adderall, so I might be way off base. But I just think of esports and how much it helps, like Call mm-hmm. of Duty players and stuff. Yeah, when they're just like laser focused, and I'm like, uh, that has to help in putting, surely. Um, so I'm gonna just keep using Adderall. But regardless of the drug substance, you know, the amount of players that will cheat and go around the system uh, to get the prescription to use it when they don't ne- technically need it, versus the amount of players you're going to be withholding from playing simply because right. they need the prescription to get to, to basically like how I look at a prescription is I go to the doctor because I have X, Y, or Z issue. The prescription is prescribed to me to get me back to normal. Exactly. Yeah. To get me back to my normal self or mm-hmm. to, you know, if I have ADD to get me to be able to focus on things at the normal level. Mm-hmm. So then at that point, 
it's not really a competitive advantage because they're just getting them back to the baseline. Yeah. Re- refusing them to where they're going to have to get off their prescription meds is actually a disadvantage to them and a competitive advantage to you. Mm-hmm. So that's where I'm like, is the few bad apples really enough to ruin this whole bunch? I don't think so. Right. Yeah. I, I'd agree with that. Because you also have to look at like, is it at the end of the day going to matter if player number 65 on the Pro Tour standings cheated and got Adderall as a prescription and that's why he's 65th? No. So it's really just the top 20 yeah. players. I think all that really matter. Well, you would randomly drug test all of them, you know, yeah. here and there where anyone could be drug tested. But I think the top 20 are the really the only issue ones. And then at that, it would be kind of easier to go case by case and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, if someone wants to cheat, they're going to cheat. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's cheating to get a prescription or, you know, cheating in the game. A, a, if someone wants to cheat, they're going to cheat. Right. And I don't think that just because you're worried about someone cheating, you should ruin it for people who could actually be like insanely good at disc golf, but they need medical marijuana because of their back pain or they need whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, or if they're on steroids for some type of recovery because of whatever car wreck two years ago or whatever it is. I don't know exactly what all of it would be used for, but I think it'd be very dumb of the game to limit players who really need that stuff to get them back to the baseline level, limit them from even being able to play on the pro tour just because of that. Yeah, that's fair. I just, I don't think that now how you need how to validify the prescriptions and stuff like that. I'm sure that just all comes with the drug testing. Like whoever's doing the drug testing validifies Mm -hmm. it. I don't look too much into that, but I do think that saying that if you need a prescription medicine, that's on the banned substance list you shouldn't be able to play on the pro tour is a horrible take yeah i i I don't understand where he was coming from with that one um i think this is the the final question to kind of talk through this because and this is one of the ones that a lot of people brought up was how exactly would you implement testing because it is so expensive yeah well i know there's an agency that does like literally all it's the same agency that does like all the main like professional leagues um, and I'm guessing that's just part of their budget, really. Um, mm-hmm. But that's what the issue is in disc golf is like right. a part of a golf budget where pay- players are getting millions of dollars, $500 for a test is nothing. Yeah. But in disc golf, if at Worlds you get to test 10 people at 500 bucks a piece, which I don't know if it's actually 500. I think it was like two to 500 was the range, but I'm going to go to the upper end. Mm-hmm. That's $5,000 out of the purse. Sure, yeah. That's a lot in disc golf. Yeah. In ball golf, it's like, okay, instead of a million, it's 995000 But in yeah. disc golf, it's like, 5000 is a, a winner's purse almost at this point. You might have to be a little more um, discreet and selective about it in in the PDGA. Like re- really kind of being careful about who you pick and trying to keep things quiet. Because the thing is with drug testing and other sports, like you only really hear about a drug test if it's failed, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like we really know – Every once in a while, like you'll see a guy hit four home runs one night and the next day tweets out, Hey, I got a random drug test today. Wonder why, you know, yeah. kind of jokes about it. But I don't know. I feel like in any sport, like you maybe, maybe it involves the players signing an NDA to where they can't disclose when they're drug tested so that they're kind of keeping, you know, their decision making quiet about that, which I know sounds shady, but like, you know, if the PDGA suspects somebody and they got to pick them for that random drug test, you know, if they have to use those tests sparingly, then that's just what they have to do. Like, I don't know, and because there might just not be a the, there might not be a way to do it where everybody gets tested. No, like it's just not going to happen. I think everyone getting tested would be a a waste of money and b a waste of time because, yeah. um, like I said, it, it's only going to be especially this early in the sport. It's only the top ones that truly matter as far as the drug test here or there goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the way to implement it, let's say they wanted to implement this next year, I think the way to do it is you just start off with every major winner. 
has to take a drug test immediately after. If you win yeah. a PDJ major, you have to pass a drug test. Yeah, that's, immediately following. That's a good idea. Because then, then you know, you know we're the winner talking, is fair. You know the winner is fair. You know, sure, could second, third, fourth, whatever have cheated? Sure, but at least it won't taint the winners. Right, right. You know, at least it won't taint the world champion of mm-hmm. 2021. Um, and then you test them immediately after. So you know, if it's 500 bucks, that's 500 bucks for one test to start it off. Sure. Now we're talking. Now we can look at that. And then if I'm the pro tour, what I would do is if I started implementing this, I would use my, I would, when I first started off, I don't know the legality of all this, but when I first started off, I would say if you're in the top 20 or 25 players in pro tour standings, mm-hmm. you're so, you're basically by breaking into the top 25, you have to, every player signs this by breaking into the top 25. I understand that I'm going to be subject to random drug testing throughout the season. Yeah. And then, you know, throughout the season, you, you don't test all 25. Throughout the season, you might pick three or four randomly. How you pick them randomly, I don't know. Because I don't know. When you say random drug testing and then sports are picking players. It's not yet. It's I don't get how that works. Random. But then why are we calling it random? Because that's ran- what they the timing's call it. random? That's what they call it. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. But it's also not random. They're allowed to say random because how are you going to know? Well, what I'm saying is like, <laughs> like if it's not random, why are we calling it random? Is that like a legal thing? Like drug probably. testing has to be random? Probably. Then like, how is that not breaking a law? Because like, how are you going to know that it wasn't random? We're going to pick Bobby Smith after he just yeah. shot a 1080 rate around. You could never know if it wasn't random. I mean, if it was repetitive enough of like, oh, this guy just shot way above but his how, rating. He's getting drug but tested. how exactly do you know that? You're the guy picking. Yeah, exactly. So there's one man. Like. Regardless, I, I think that like making it the top, top tier athletes, and you're just drug testing them randomly throughout the season, one here, one there. Maybe the first season it's just one of like four different players, and you just pick four random players, just so it's there. Because then at least it, it all the random drug testing does to me is it at least makes players think twice. Mm-hmm. If a player right. is going to cheat. Yeah. It at least makes him think twice of Absolutely. like, and then what I would do is I would tag on a fine of mm-hmm. like, even if you're caught, even if it's not through drug testing, if you're caught using, breaking any one of our banned substances, period, you will be fined X amount. Yeah. That's one thing the pro tour doesn't have right now is fines. Yeah. They need to. Well, the, the tough part of fines is like disc golf already is scrounging for money Mm -hmm. so like a disc golfer who's struggling on the road breaks a rule and then has gets hit with a 500 dollars fine like well don't break the rules yeah i agree (laughs) but i'm just saying like you could see where that's probably where they're where they're walking on that line of like can we implement this i think with something as big as drug testing you yeah that's i'm saying you just do the bigger offenses the ones that aren't going to be accidental they're gonna be very intentional and very not good yeah i think you bring that in as like a more serious punishment because if it's like a two tournament suspension and you're in a top 20 players position and you're like, well, what's two tournaments to me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas if it's a, you know, a tournament, uh, whatever tournament suspension plus a thousand dollar fine or whatever for failing a random drug test, mm-hmm. then now we're talking now we're like, Oh shoot. Like I better, I better make sure I don't do that. Yeah. That's the biggest thing it does to me is mm-hmm. it, it makes it where players who are good enough to possibly win these pro tour events, would be double th- double um double guessing their decision. Is that what I'm saying? Double checking? Double guessing? Double guessing the thing? Mm, maybe. It is now. They'd be double guessing. <laughs> it just sounds wrong. Their decision though to use whatever performance enhancing drug. Rethinking. Rethinking, sure. They'd be rethinking their decision to use it. Yeah. 
So it would at least make them have that moment of like, should I, mm-hmm. that accountability. There's not accountability right now. Yeah. And in, in, in as far as the drug testing stuff goes in disc golf. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think it's beneficial. I do not think marijuana should be on the list. And I do think that people who are prescribed medicine for the banned substances should still allow to be played on the pro tour. So me and Austin Hannum probably would not fully agree. Doesn't sound like it. I also do think steroids should be on there. Yes. So basically all me and Austin Hannum would agree on is that drug testing should be a thing. Sounds like it. Past that, it kind of gets blurry. <laughs> yeah. Lines get a little blurry there. Uh, did you have anything else you want to bring up on that? Or did we kind of cover all no, the main I th- points? I think we covered all the bases. I mean, I'm sure people will have a lot of takes on that. And once again, understand that like Hunter and I, we've done a, a bit of research on this, but we're not, you know, super knowledgeable about this. So if you guys have takes, feel free to share them. Don't attack us. If we were wrong on something, we're learning too about no. all this. So, you know throw something in the comments, send us a message on one of our platforms. And, you know, we're definitely, this is a discussion we can continue to have. Absolutely. I think it's something that will continue to be brought up until yeah. it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Which one thing I will say that during our research, we found out that the PGA tour apparently didn't implement drug testing until oh, 2008. Eight. Yeah. So that's kind of shocking. Crazy. And I even think someone on um, Brody was doing like a little debate thing last night. And someone even said that like UFC, I believe it was, was years and years in before they implemented drug testing. Yeah. So it, that, it seems that like sports just don't like, well, PGA tour is a head scratcher, but I don't know. And I read that like guys on the nationwide tour, which is now the corn fairy tour and was the web.com tour. <laughs> um, we're literally smoking weed in like porta potties, like on the course. Like that's like how crazy it was. And that was like 2002. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but it, it does at least seem like in some other sports, they get much more developed than where disc golf is now before they have this conversation. Yeah. So, you know, that might also be a thing of it's not time right now. Yeah. We got to wait. Yeah. Who knows? But it is time to jump into Trevor's trivia. Uh, I don't know. I think you said you had a, another guessing game for me. All right. So I'm bringing back the who am I because I think last time it was a little too easy for you, but I really like this idea. So if you weren't listening last time, basically the premise is I'm going to give a series of hints. I'm going to have a MPO, then an FPO player. Um. And after each hint, you're able to guess, but you shouldn't guess until you think you know okay. who it is, um, which should probably take a while with these ones. So we'll see what you got. So player number one, it's male player. I was born in California. I placed 12th in the player of the year standings in 2019. I've won 77,000 in career earnings. My career rating or my current rating is 1018. My best pro tour finish last year was seventh at Outer Wild. I'm a world champion. Greg Barsby. Nope. I play for DGA. A world champion in what? Putting? <laughs> or like a disc golf world champion? I said I'm a world champion. So is he like Matt Bell? <laughs> yeah, it's Matt Bell. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to get me. that. I was thinking, well, at first I was thinking Philo for a hot minute. I don't know why. Basically, when you said California, I w- immediately went. Is Barsby even from California? Yeah. Okay, good. I think so. At least I had that part. World right. champion. I knew I was going to throw off with that. Come on. That's, that's dirty, I'll admit. Okay. Player number two is female player. I was also born in California. I've been a PDJ member since 2005. I've made 14000 in career earnings. I have 23 career wins. I finished 13th in the player of the year standings last year. I had seven top 10 finishes on the pro tour last season. My PDGA number is two, seven, eight, three, two. Any guesses yet? Kona Panis. Wow. 
Is that it? Yeah. Let's go. That's incredible. My next hint was I have over 40,000 followers on Instagram. I would have got, got it there. That's very good. Because that, that was very vague. <laughs> it was, I was trying to think of a player who was gotten to disc golf when they were a kid, currently touring, sometimes finishes out there, but doesn't win a ton. Yeah. And that led me to Kona. Wow. That was that was impressive. <laughs> Those are the only two you got? Yeah. Oh. I'll do a male and a female for you. Oh. I don't know why I was expecting more. No. I, you the leave Kona, us hanging. The Kona was <laughs> oh, the Kona was shocking. I don't know how you managed to scrounge that up. I don't know. But I was pretty confident in that one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, did you did the PDGA number was that no. a hint at all? Okay. I was ready to guess Kona before you said PDGA number. What made you? you know, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> I couldn't tell. You. I just had this gut feeling. <laughs> That's odd. Yeah, I don't know. It was, it was something with the player of the year and like the consistent finishes. I just felt like kind of where Kona finishes. All right. I don't know. It is what it is. Uh, but speaking of the Pro Tour, we've got a very interesting topic that I don't know how much we'll discuss, per se. But this was, again, talking about Discord. This was presented by Midsize Buffalo over on our Discord server. Um, and he suggested that for the Pro Tour, they should define greens for not being able to jump putt instead of the standard circle one. So to further explain this idea, basically making it so like 30 feet on the wooded side of the hole and then 50 feet on the more open side... Excuse me. <laughs> nice. 30 feet on the wooded side of the hole and then like 50 feet on the more open side or like 60 feet on a natural like normal green or like 30 feet on an elevated pin, um, etc. So what type of effect do you think this would have on the game? Is it beneficial? Is it something you'd like to see? Yeah, I think it's brilliant for starters. Like, I don't know how I didn't think of this. This is such a cool idea. Um I think it is like one of those things that we've been looking for. Like how do we make disc golf courses harder um, and like change the way that they're thrown without adding in like gimmicks. And this is one of them. Now, with that being said on your average disc golf course, the only way this works is if it's always marked, basically mm-hmm. they always have to be marked. So on your average course, there's a reason the 30 foot, you know, rule is so good. It's because you can step it off. It's always applicable. It doesn't need to be marked. Um, like that's why it's so good. So I don't think for just like your average local course is going to exist, but for pro tour events and big events and really any tournament director who wants to add a little bit of spice to their event, this is really cool because this makes it so, yeah, you can have an adaptive putting system to where, where, yeah, like if there's woods hugging, you know, um, where the pin is like, then it maybe the circle's a little bit tighter there. Maybe, uh, it's a little bit wider where it's wide open to where like, yeah, you can throw this side, but then your circle is going to be smaller or bigger. Like it changes the way you make players want to attack a pin. Um, it just adds just endless possible combinations and things you can do with that. I, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's, I'm kind of upset that we didn't come up with this one idea. more thing too, is like, I will say, you know, if there isn't a standardized amount of space that has to be like within the green, like there needs to be this much square footage in the green, then the greens greens hit percentage still could be a little bit, it could be a little weird, but I don't really think that matters. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's just, that's just an interesting because So but. to me, what I like about this is it also makes it where you can change up the course day to day. Yeah. So you could change the right. pen locations would now actually matter. Right. Because now you could have a pen, you know, the green pinches off towards it so it's a little bit easier because you're going to be able to jump putt from 30 feet closer to the pin whereas b pin is on the other side where it's more 60 feet wide so now it's going to be a little tougher it also changes how players can play the course so now you know what was before an easy hole 
you could make it where their upshot has to be strategic because if they play on the right side of the basket at 45 feet, they're not going to be able to jump putt. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the left side at 35, they're going to be able to jump putt. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of changes where a player is thinking about throwing their upshot and stuff yeah. like that. Um, I, I also think that this is going to be, this could be good for like visuals because right now, you know, you have the flags to mark the green, but in my head, when I picture this and I picture this done, it's like mulched or something yeah. or like there's like a, a natural defining thing. Mulch might not be the best. some work for sure. Maybe it's just like rocks. I don't know. I'm just thinking of like in golf, when you see a green, you see the like really short grass, you can tell it's the green. Yeah. You know, obviously there's a big metal basket, you know, it's the green. But I'm saying, like, visually, it's just really small part of that. doesn't matter at all. We don't need to do that part. The rest of it, though, I think it's, I think it's genius because I think it, it allows the courses, even like an easy par three, make the circle like 65 feet or something. Yeah. To where yeah. it, it, it makes it a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Will it take away some of the excitement from jump putts? Sure. But now it makes the upshots exciting. Yeah. Because it adds that excitement of strategically placing your upshot. You know, and, and right now in disc golf, if you just get within 30 feet, you know, or if you're like scrambling, you're just trying to get inside the circle. Yeah. Sure. You're right now, you're right on this, you'd still be trying to get inside the green, but it'd be more strategic. Yeah, and I be- guarantee you pros, because to an average disc golfer like me and you, this ain't really going to matter. No. Because I'm just going to try to get close to the basket. I don't mm-hmm. care. This would matter to pros. Because like if I'm Paul and I'm 350 feet out and I know like, because like pros, one of the craziest things to me that if I try to do, I suck at, but I still try to do it, is planning your miss. Right. Of like knowing, okay, well, I need to miss left here or I need to miss right here. That would now be factored in. It wouldn't have to be with dumb OB that's way too close to the basket, all of this stuff. It could be just the shape of the green to where like, hey, when I'm throwing this upshot, I want to make sure this hydrates out a little bit more. I want to make sure this cruises to the right if I'm not parked. So if I'm not within 10 feet, I want to make sure I'm on the right side of the basket because yeah. that's going to be easier for me to get up and down. Mm-hmm. I think it's genius. I don't really see many drawbacks to it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't really at all. I think the only drawback is the fact that it might remove some of those highlight putts. But uh, to me, I think something needs to be done about disc golf putting because I think that is the one aspect that is a little too easy. For the pros. For yeah. the pros. Not, <laughs> not for me. You have seen my putting yeah. and you're probably commenting it. You can go ahead and delete that comment because it's not for me. I understand yeah. that. But for the pros, when you're a top-level pro, like a top-five pro, it is shocking when you miss inside 30 feet, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. So this is something that I think that could really change is like, you know, now it, it changes up everything with your putting because it would change circle and putting percentage. The statistics would kind of suck with that. Yeah. But it would change kind of everything in, you know, the way you practice, the, you know, the way you're mentally preparing for a tournament, the way you're taking notes for a tournament, yeah. knowing where, like now prepping for a tournament actually means a lot more. If they did the greens, then the puttings would no longer be able to be C1, C2. It would have to be by feet. So yeah. you're putting from 0 to 10 feet, 10 to 20, 20 to 30. Yeah. Which I think it would be better if they did that anyways, but different subject. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's very beneficial. Would it make a huge difference stroke-wise? Probably not. You know, we're probably looking at, I would say on average – it probably make the tur- the tournament over three rounds, um, like six or seven strokes harder. Yeah, is sure. what I would say. You know, I'd say like two to three strokes a round. Um, so is that a drastic difference? No, but that's enough to where yeah. now there's six or seven more strokes to play with, um, mm-hmm. in parity in the winning, like and who's gonna win and stuff like that. It adds more parity to the sport, which I think is great for disc golf. Yeah. Um, I don't really see too many 
too many downsides uh and i think it's at least worth trying or exploring yeah um and it could be done on courses as well small like local courses um but i i agree with you that i think the the 30 foot rule just like in general makes more sense um because but if a if a park wanted to pour money into it mm-hmm. i think it would be like the two meter rule type of a thing where it's up to the td yeah if the td wants it, wants to use greens instead of the normal green he puts it into effect if he wants it if he doesn't say anything it's just 30 feet yeah and that way courses could choose to design a green or not design a green or tds could choose to flag off a green not flag off a green there should be some type of minimum i think of um the how small a circle can get because you i mean i don't know why a td would do this or also how big right because i could see tds doing like 100 feet and like that's dumb to me yeah Uh, but i could also see tds being like 10 feet that's also dumb because if you're 10 feet and you're jump putting dunk like what the heck are we doing (laughs) yeah so i think there should be a minimum of like 30 feet and a maximum of like 65 feet or something like that yeah so you have a range that you have to work within of the basket so it doesn't get ridiculous but I don't really see too it many. Makes it a little downsides. more creative for whole design. Yeah, uh, I I like it. I like it all around. Sure. Mid-sized buffalo, you're a genius. Well, that's not your idea. Then whoever you got it from is a genius. But <laughs> someone out there that is not us is a geniuses. And finally, I think I have you in this one. It's time for make that call. If you don't know what make that call is, basically I take, I go through the PGA, PDGA rule book. I pick out a rule that I think I can create a scenario around to stump Trevor, and I almost never do. But in this one. And this one, I think I have. Okay. Probably not. All right. So your 16 hole. I like putting you into these scenarios, yeah, by the way. Sure. Yeah. I like painting you. This is your uh, your tournament here. You're 16 holes into a heated battle in the tournament. Mm, Someone on your card raises a question about the legality of your disc based on the die that you use to dye the, dye the design on it. Ooh. This is your go-to putting putter, and he is now claiming you cannot use it. Everyone on your card except for him says they don't care what you do. So you decide, you know what? I'm going to continue to use it because I think it's legal until I talk to the TD after the round. Ooh. You end up using this disc four more times and winning by only three strokes. Mm-hmm. Do you receive any penalty strokes regardless of what the TD says? Regardless of what he says? So I'm, or just in general. I'm going to say no. I'm pretty sure you don't. it doesn't come into effect until you've been warned by the TD. That buzzing's really bugging me. I hope they can't hear it, but keep going. I'm pretty sure I, I'm. I, there's a question. There is a question in the PDGA, like rules officials exam, about this, um, and I think it had to do with whether or not your disc was marked or not, which it, which determines legality of the disc. It's not legal if it's not marked. So I'm I'm using that as like it's legal or it's not legal, um, and I think it was like every stroke, every time he uses it after he's been warned counts towards his score but it, if he hasn't been warned and he was warned but he wasn't warned by the td so i'm gonna say no it doesn't matter what he says so technically you could be right could be wrong so the answer is do you receive strokes as possibly because rule 18 813.01 d states a disc that is questioned by another player or an official is illegal unless it is subsequently approved by the td so as soon as it's a question by him, oh. it's illegal unless you go to the TD after and the TD goes, no, it's legal. So like if you never went to the TD, it's illegal. You got two strokes per throw you use after it. Adding that's, eight strokes to your round. That's dumb. So uh, as long as you go to the TD and he says it's fine, so are you. So if you like, if it, in this scenario and you're like, I died my disc, clearly it's legal. Yeah. Sure. 
nine, Imagine nine being the guy that questions that. Like, yeah. oh gosh. I was just trying to think of a way. That, that's a good rule. But, that's a good one to get uh, with. You got me. I, I'd say that. You got me. Yeah, it's a risky decision to use the disc, but not really. Yeah. It'd be more so like, I don't know. I'm surprised I don't know what rule. I was trying to come up with a scenario to put that into, and that was the best one I could come up with. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, so it's as soon as it's questioned, it becomes illegal until the TD says it's not, says yeah. you can use it, which was interesting. It is interesting. So that's going to wrap it up for this week's podcast. Hopefully you have enjoyed. Um, I, I again want to shout out our Discord. Head over there. Check out the giveaway we're about to do on that. The link will be in the description below. Or if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, it should be in the description of this um, episode. But if not, you can head over to YouTube and find it there. Uh, and also, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and leave us a review. If you've listened this far, you might either really like us or really hate us. Either way, you can leave us a review. We read all of them, and we re- truly appreciate all of them. You could also DM us your feedback on Instagram, Facebook, wherever that may be, or comment right here on YouTube if you're watching us. I believe I have hit all of it, right? I think so. I think that is it. Thank you guys so much. We'll talk to you guys next week.